0: Thank you. Hi. Um, It's really exciting to be here and I wanted to talk about something that as it happens Follows what Roger was just saying very closely this idea of creative citizenship I think it's an idea that we all have right now Which is what can we really do? You know, we see these horrible things happening all around us We see people dying. We see people Unemployed on a scale that we haven't seen in almost a hundred years. We see uh, our governments uh, completely out of control and unable to help us and people are really wondering what they can do. And I think it's a, a question that particularly artists are always troubled by because what we can do is often not that much. You know, you make your song, you write your book, you paint your painting. It always sort of seems paltry and, and uh, little. Um, the woman that I wrote this book about, uh, Susan Sontag, here she is at the height of her glory in the, in the late 70s. Um she was born in 1933 which was the in January 1933 which was the month that Hitler came to power. She was born in New York City and she grew up um in America in wartime America. In 1945 uh the first photographs of the Nazi death camps reached the United States. She's 12 years old and she's in a bookstore in California in Los Angeles and she sees the pictures of the Nazi death camps and she wonders, she says it's the, the event that breaks her life in two. It's something that's so horrible and so unimaginable that it left her a question that was no longer theoretical, which was what can you actually do? Um, you see these things happening. The bombs are going off in Hiroshima, and the, the death camps are working at full force. And you know, there you are writing your book. You know this is something I think very many authors and, and, and artists. Think about all the time um, she becomes an activist she becomes somebody who is identified with radical politics um, she goes to Cuba she famously in the 1960s goes to Vietnam which was under American bombardment um, she makes films she writes books she does all these things and she's always her whole life tormented by the question of what she can actually do and what does it matter um, Toward the end of her life in 1992, when she's reaching her 60s, she goes to Sarajevo, which is at that point, a small city, the capital of Bosnia and Herzegovina, which had been a pretty okay place in Yugoslavia. It was not a big city and it still isn't. Um, It looks like two hands actually. Um, If you put your hands together and you open them back out, I don't know if you can see, but Where the wrists touch, you have a little, uh, uh, the closing of the valley, and at the top, you have another close, and you have these mountains all around it. Now, Sarajevo was a famously multicultural city. It's the kind of city that I think we all idealize in a certain way, if we're of a certain political bent. It's a place where people of all sorts of different religions and races and languages had come together throughout history, and it was besieged. It's a very easy place to besiege. It actually was a place where they had this uh, Winter Olympics in 1984, because you could could ski pretty much from downtown. You could go up into these mountains on these ski lifts from the middle of the city. Um, That goes wrong in 1992 after the breakup of Yugoslavia and the Serbian gunners surround the city and they had invented a phrase that is still with us. I don't know if people still remember that it was coined in Yugoslavia but of ethnic cleansing, which is basically what the Nazis had done. And it was the one thing that everybody who thought of themselves as civilized was against. No matter if you were left or right, you thought that um, ethnic cleansing was was beyond the pale of civilization. Um, Her son goes there to do some reporting and he comes back and he's absolutely obsessed with it. And finally, um, he tries to get all these other people to come. People are terrified. Uh, rightly so, it's a very scary place to be trapped, and you were trapped once you were there. And, and the number of you know tens of thousands of people were killed, and the only person he manages to convince to come back with him is his mother, Susan Sontag and she comes, and she is instantly confronted with this question: of What am I supposed to do? I am. She was a very well-known writer. She was a very respected cultural figure. But these are guns. This is is an army bent on genocide surrounding the city. Um, It doesn't matter how well known you are in New York, there's not a lot you can do about that. And she comes and she's she brings people money, she brings people medicine, she brings diapers for their children. And she's still faced with this question that she had as a little girl, which is what can you do in a city where an onion was a gift, a really extravagant gift. If you gave somebody an onion, this was really nice. It was a city where birds Had fled because the shelling of the and the guns were so traumatic that any animal who could flee, Sarajevo, had fled. It's a city where people walked around with their own shit in paper bags because there was no plumbing and there was no water. So unless you wanted your house to turn into a sewer, you had to get rid of your own shit somewhere. So these, you know, the the, the parks fill up with this stuff. There's cadavers lying on the street, there's no funerary services, there's nothing. You can do about it, so people just walk over the cadavers. Um, it's a really unbelievable hellscape. And she's still asking herself this question of, of creative citizenship. You know, What can she actually do? She doesn't wanna be a tourist. Um, she wants to actually help people. So what she does is she gets together a bunch of Bosnian actors, all of whom are unemployed because there's no life, you know, there's no cultural life, and she decides to put on a play. She chooses Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot, which is one of the great plays of 20th century despair. It is a group of people sitting around waiting for Godot, who is God, according to a lot of people. And they know he's not gonna come. There's no salvation. You know, These are modern people. They know this isn't gonna happen, but they're sort of waiting because they don't have anything else to do. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting, just as the Bosnians are waiting for NATO or for the West or for the United States to come in. and. Um, and end their suffering. Now their suffering was very endable. Um, Unlike a lot of situations, the United States Navy, it was estimated could have ended the siege of Sarajevo in 48 hours. Instead, they let it go on for year after year after year and, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people died. So she puts on a play, people wearing rags because they didn't have any costumes, all these actors. I went to Sarajevo and I met the actors that survived. They all were really skinny. You see the pictures of them, and you see how much weight they had lost. They couldn't do anything, including even memorize their lines, because they were starving. Um, There was no electricity, so they didn't have any vision, uh, peripheral vision. They couldn't see what else was happening around them. Um, And Sontag puts on this play, and it becomes one of the great gestures of the 20th century. It really is is the answer. It's not an answer that's going to bring intervention. You know, it's not an answer that's going to bring a magical solution to anything. But it's an, a gesture that says, these are not barbarians. These are human beings, these people. They like to go to the theater and read the newspaper just as much as any other people. Um, they're human. They might not want to be uh, walking around with shit all day in their hands. They might want to actually go out and, and have a nice uh, evening. It wasn't a nice evening, but it was a recognition of their humanity. And so when I was in Sarajevo, one of the most exciting things I, that had happened to me was I was with a Bosnian who, who spoke Bosnian and who could translate for me. And we were in a little public market, which was under a flyover, a bridge, where it had been ever since the war. And the reason it was there is that the flyover protected the people under it who were just buying their vegetables from getting killed. And it was there. And I was curious, I saw this very uh, normal looking Bosnian woman who was selling fruit, And I said to my translator, will you ask her if she knows who Susan Sontag is? Because that woman in Chicago or Atlanta wouldn't have any idea who Susan Sontag was. But the woman was completely outraged that I would dare think that she wouldn't know who Susan Sontag was. And she said she came here and she sat with us and she told people who we were. And she went back and will always remember her. And that afternoon I went to the theater where she had this thing in the National Theater. They've named the square in front of the National Theater Susan Sontag Square. Now, I found that so touching that this was someone who her entire life had been looking for something meaningful for people. And she really believed that art, that culture was the thing that kept us from being barbarians. It was the thing that we needed to hold on to the tightest. It was the thing that was always looked at as frivolous or as the thing you don't need to fund for the kids because they don't need to have poetry class they need to learn you know science they need to learn computers she realized that art was the most important thing for people and that's why she's remembered with such love there and it's why i'm always really happy to talk about her and to talk about this moment because i think it inspires us to hold on to our values um, to not give in to despair We can't do everything, but we can do something. So I hope that you'll read about Susan uh, and and take her to heart and remember her and try to do something like that yourself. Thanks so much.